In today's episode, I talk with my guest on how she reprogrammed her mindset, allowing her to reprogram her neurology 18 years later to recreate her identity. Find out how she broke cycles, created transformation, and today is living a life designed by what makes her happiest. Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to changemakers who want to lead, inspire, or transform the world for the better. My name is Ravi Tour. I'm a straight shooter with a no BS approach. This podcast is meant to be thought-provoking, to get your attention, and mostly, I want to encourage change and movement from folks just like you and me. I'll cover things like world issues, mindset, and theory. So stick around, tune in, and let your mind be the map to your revolution. Welcome to episode 19 of Lit. My name is Ravi Tour and I am your host. I am so fucking excited to bring you guys to the second interview series with the guest interviews. Today, I'm here with Alexis Storms Iger. She is a therapist and a coach, and she has a brilliant story to share with us today about transitioning and losing her identity and regaining it through experience, change, and growth. So I'm going to flip the mic over to Alexis so she can tell us a little bit more about herself. Thank you so much, Ravi. I am so excited to be here. So like you said, I really have an experience with having to transform my life. So I have two teenagers right now. My daughter is 15. My son is 18. So he is literally finishing up his senior year, working full time, and then he's going to be Well, he thinks he's going to be moving out. We'll see. My daughter has just a few years left of high school, and I started um, my journey as a mother very, very young. I had both of my kids when I was still getting my undergraduate degree in psychology, and um, then I took some time off from the workforce and school, and I was a stay-at-home mom until they were able to both be in school full-time because let's face it, paying for daycare for two kids is basically somebody's full income. (laughs) So it made no sense for me to go to work. But what happened is because I had kids so young and then I just dedicated myself to being a mom, I really lost track of who I am. And often for people that young adulthood of, you know, your first four years in college, that's a huge time of exploration and discovery. And I didn't have that. So what happened was my life really got wrapped up in being a mom and doing everything for them and taking all of those steps that I thought I should take in order to be the best mom and doing the things that everybody else expected of me. Well, what happened is as my kids got older and they're now able to be pretty self-sufficient, I realized that there was a huge void in my life. Something was missing. And what I think that was, was that I didn't know who I was. Yeah. I hadn't like just had time for me since I was like 16 years old. And now, you know, I'm in my late 30s. So it's also kind of that time of like midlife crisis. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so it's all happening at once. Who yeah. am I on this really broad scale? And I have no clue outside of mom. And so the cool thing was um, I had gone back to school after my kids had started their school and got my master's degree in mental health counseling. And so I had a lot of education and then experience because I then started working within the field um, of really helping people unwrap their past 
and helping people get back in touch with themselves by exploring their thoughts, exploring their values. And so I learned to use that, those same skills that I used on other people to help myself figure shit out. But I find it super, super intriguing that you're talking about losing your identity, but also talking about obligations, right? Like, it's not like you put yourself in this position per se, although technically it takes two to tango, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, you could have done all sorts of things, but given the circumstances, what you ended up doing was being in a position of obligation. And so you had to kind of lose what was your identity to provide for some kids, a family, you know, for the homestead, the life. And then once that's all done, what do you do? Where do you go from there? 18 years is a long fucking time, right? Yeah. So I think this applies to a broad range of situations. So for me, it was parenting, right? I lost my identity in parenting and the responsibilities and the obligations that come with it. But for a lot of people, it could be the obligations and responsibilities of work. It could be the obligations and responsibilities in so many other aspects of life. And you get wrapped up in those things. And then when you decide that you're going to make a change or that something needs to be different, you're left going, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, this is all I've ever known. Right? Something different. Exactly. And so let me take it back a bit for a second, because I know lit listeners definitely feel this, right? That loss of identity. Where do I go? Something's missing. I want to know how that actually showed up in your life. Like it's, it's one thing to kind of pinpoint and say, okay, this is what it is, but some people don't even know. So how does it show up in your life? Yeah. So for me, that idea that something was missing, I mean, I had a real physical feeling actually of something being missing. And what happened was in the quiet moments that I started getting more and more of as my kids got older, I realized that it felt like almost physically empty, right? When I stopped and turned inside and turned my attention to like my heart and my soul, it was like a void. There was like like a gaping black hole. (laughs) The only way I can really describe it. And, you know, similar, I think, to like this state of depression, but I don't think mood-wise I was really depressed. It was more that I just wasn't fulfilled. And what do you do when you've been on autopilot for 18 years, right? And like Alexis said, it, it can be in an area of parenting, your home life. It can be an area of your work life. But once you become accustomed to a certain kind of repetitive behavior over and over and over again, day in and day out for, in Alexis's instance, 18 years, the same thing day in, day out. And it has its variations, of course, I'm sure, but most of it was programmed autopilot, go in through your day, go out through your day the same way. There's a missing piece as things get quieter. And that's a huge piece of it, right? Because it didn't just all get quiet at once. There was a slow progression, right? How far after or how long after that slow progression did you actually realize, oh man, there's that physicality of something missing? Yeah, I would say it was was probably years after it actually started, but it starts so slowly and so subtly that you don't even realize it's happening, right? Mm -hmm. And then something shifts where you finally notice it. But I would say from the time you know, my kids were in school full-time and self-sufficient. So at, in school and not needing daycare after school. By the time they were really starting to be self-sufficient, so probably when my daughter was, you know, 12-ish, and so my son was 15, 
like, I think it had been happening from about the age of, you know, from my daughter being five until she was 12. So it was probably seven years that was a slow progression of something's not right. And part of that was, like I said earlier, I was taking the steps that I thought I was supposed to take. I was doing what I thought I should do. And that was really based not only on this sense of responsibility and obligation I had to my kids, but to expectations that I thought were my own. Looking back now, I realize probably expectations that had been handed to me by other people, whether that was family members in the past or whether it was societal expectations. I had really adopted those expectations and then was doing things in line with those expectations. And so that's huge, that expectations part, right? People expect you to perform a certain way. They expect you to be a certain person. And what you had expected was obviously a little bit different of yourself because, I mean, you were an undergrad, right? You were taking psychology. So by all accounts, you were going to be a therapist. That's what you expected to be. And then life kind of shook you. Hmm. and your expectations and took you a different way. And now you've got to be a mom and now everybody else has expectations, right? And so what did some of those expectations look like, especially at the tail end? So the expectations at the tail end are shifting a little bit, but even so, like when my, when my daughter was about 12 and this really started sinking in that there was something missing in my life, For me, I had really incorporated these expectations, not only of myself as a mom, but of what now like a therapist's journey should look like. Because I had gone back to school, I had done what I intended to do. And then there's almost like this set step of expectations that people think you're going to follow, depending on if you're going to go into like community service or if you're going to go into private practice. And I kind of was picking um, the safest route originally, because I also, again, I'm a mom. Right. And so they are a big priority. And I'm like, well, I need consistent income. I need the safest route. And so you take those next best steps too, even though wasn't the best fit for me, but I did it because I felt like, well, number one, it was the safest bet. Right. Right. Number two, it was what everybody expected me to do. I was going to go into, I was going to start in in a community agency and then I would transfer to a big regional hospital. And eventually I would work my way up into like management of this regional hospital and make, you know, six figures and also create change within the community by helping people with their mental health stuff. That was the expected route to take. That's what I started doing. And it wasn't until finally that sense of that void, that real physical feeling that I was like, you know what? I can't do it. Everybody else expects me to do that, but I can't do it. Right. And there's something important about that, about taking kind of the safe route and taking the expected route, right? Because for me, as someone who's worked in the social service sector as well, right, there's there's definitely a linear approach. There are certain areas that you can go into that are going to provide you a linear approach to your professional life. And then obviously your life life, right? It's going to establish you in one way or another. But here's the thing for me, and I think I'm hearing the same from you, you're limited in the terms of of transformation you can create in the scope of the transformation you can create, especially in the social service sector, right? When you're going through those different linear kind of stop points or checkpoints and you're getting that job and then that promotion, there's only so much you can do and there's a linear approach they want you to follow, right? And so that wasn't going to fit for you. And- that's what you were expected to do. So tell me what you did do with it. Right. So again, like you said, it kind of, the the linear approach really puts you in a box. 
Right. It's like, these are the people that you can work with. Yeah. This is how you can help them. And you follow this expected course of treatment and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And it's like, well, but that doesn't always work. No. Right. Number one. And number two, the mental health approach, while it's very, very needed, there's also a huge part of the population who doesn't meet diagnostic criteria who still needs the same service. And what I realized was that the people that I'm really drawn to working with are the people who don't necessarily fit that diagnosis. They're not fitting in that box, but they still need that help and they still need that guidance. And so I decided once I started feeling that void that I had to get out of working at the hospital that I worked at. It was a great job. It served a really good purpose for the time being, but it wasn't ultimately what I wanted. And so I was just, if I stayed there, I was just going to be spinning my wheels. I wasn't going to be doing what I loved. And I was just going to be there because it had a consistent paycheck. And so initially what I decided to do was kind of the next expected thing, right? That everybody expects a therapist to do if they're not going to work within a hospital or social services area is start a private practice. Right. It's like, great. Okay, cool. I'm going to start a private practice, which again, you're still a little bit in a box. You can see self-pay people and they don't necessarily have to, you know, meet a diagnostic criteria, but the majority of people that come into your practice are again, similar to the people that you're seeing in social services, but a little bit higher functioning. I still have that practice. I do do that practice part-time and it's amazing. And I still enjoy it. Um, The cool thing about having a private practice is that you're able to choose your client, right? Whereas in social services, your your clients are assigned to you. So you don't know who you're going to get, right? Could be a great fit. Maybe it won't be. But in private practice, I at least get to choose my own clients. But because that's not where my real heart and my real passion is, um, I did also decide to branch into coaching, which is a logical step from, um, you know, therapy, really, it's not the same at all. No, but there's a lot of things that are similar. And they overlap somewhat. Yeah, exactly. They totally overlap. And so I decided that I wasn't going to just stay in that box. I did the private practice, which again, is the next expected step, but then branched outside of that too. So I kind of have a foot in both worlds right now. But by having my coaching business, I'm able to really fulfill my passion a little bit more. And then the hope is eventually I can transition more completely. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about that passion component because that's what I talk to Lit about every day, right? I want you guys to understand that the people I'm bringing on serve a purpose to you to show you that you can chase what you're passionate about. You just got to think outside the box, right? Here we are, two members who are active in the social service sector that had a linear approach, what we were supposed to do, right? We had to make a shift because it wasn't fulfilling enough. It wasn't giving us what we needed. And we were way more passionate than that little box, right? And so giving ourselves a space to be innovative, giving ourselves a space to really create a life and design something on purpose is the whole point. So you now realize that you have a void. You've lost your identity. You need to make some changes. And now you're going to move towards pursuing a passion, right? Hmm. Tell me what that looked like, first and foremost, when you decided to tell your family (laughs) that you were going to pursue a passion. Yeah, well, I have an extremely supportive family, so I'm very lucky there. My husband always backs up whatever I want to do. 
So I am extremely fortunate in that regard. He, um, you know, he has the insurance and all that stuff. And so he's just like, whatever you want to do, whatever's going to make you happy, like I'm going to support you 100%. So he is amazing. And my kids, um, I don't think they really care at this point. (laughs) (laughs) My kids are just like, whatever, mom, like you're already weird. So you can go be more weird. So is there anything that's kind of brought any type of impact or change or maybe even an influence other than your weird mom? Is there an influence that's being impacted in the household by you pursuing a passion? Well, I definitely think, I mean, I'm happier. And so that absolutely wears off within the family, right? I'm happier, which means I'm less likely to snap at the kids. I mean, they're teenagers. Like they do stuff that drive me a little crazy as teenagers will do. You know, they've got their hormones and everything going all over the place, but I'm a lot more laid back and able to kind of roll with it than I had been in the past. You know, when you're stressed out, when you're not happy, you're freaking stressed out. Yeah. You don't realize it. You are stressed out. And when you're stressed out, your response to your kids is not the response that you actually want to give your children. Right. I think it's making a huge impact in the family because as a mom and as parents, at all. Like we are the role model for our children. So if our kids see mom always snapping at them or mom being unhappy, then that's kind of what they grow up and end up modeling, whether they realize it or not, and whether they want to or not. So by me being able to follow my passion, I'm happier. I'm more relaxed. And then they see that. And that's what they see as mom. You know, she's happy. She's relaxed. She kind of rolls with the punches. She's weird but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so there's that, that ideology of invisible influence, right? Invisible impact. You're going to give off this self-confidence, this happiness, like you say, right? You're going to end up giving out this, this happiness that's going to impact other people around you. So now you're less snappy, you know, you're, you're feeling more fulfilled, What I'm hearing significantly here is you are highly emotionally regulated, whereas before you weren't, right? You were stressed out. You were disliking the path. You were feeling constricted, actually. It wasn't even a a complete dislike. It was just there was a constriction to where you could go and what you could do. And, And, you know, that box fitting, that labeling, let's all fit. It doesn't work, right? People are not into it anymore. People need more. People need to be able to kind of give in to their diversities, right? Everybody has something unique to share. And so for you, as soon as you tapped into that by getting real and getting honest with yourself and recognizing, yo, there is something a little fucking off here and I need to kind of investigate into what that looks like, that gave you the opportunity to grow and change and produce you know, a better lifestyle for yourself that clearly influences the people around you. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So talk to me about the transition point and how long did it take for you to be able to really fully step into the coach mode from the therapist mode, which I know they're, they're happening in concert with each other, right? To some degree, but What was that like and how long did it take? Yeah. So the initial step just into being like my own boss, basically going from social services to my private practice took a couple years. Like I had been thinking about that for a long time before I finally kind of made that leap. That was a couple year process. And then I finally kind of got to the point with that job that I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is crazy. I have to put in my notice. And it was that feeling of 
of almost being like backed into a corner, right? Like I, I can't do this anymore. That really motivated me to finally go out and do my own thing. And then the transition into coaching probably took another six months to a year, probably more like a year. I had listened to lots of podcasts about making that transition from therapist to coach. I had heard about people local to me who had made that transition from therapist to coach. I had looked into courses about making the transition. I had done all of this kind of prep work for a year. And then finally, I was like, you know what? I have to do this. And again, it was almost that feeling of being backed into a corner. It's like I'm putting a lot of time and energy and effort into my private practice. And it's not as financially rewarding as I would like. The time freedom is not there, which is something that I really want to have is that time freedom. And, you know, sometimes the investment on the other end of, of the, the table, I guess, is not as high. I'm putting in more work than some of my clients. And at that point, not right now, because now I choose my clients better. But, <laughs> but at that point, I was putting in a little bit more work and I just felt like I had to make some kind of change. I had to make some kind of transition. I wasn't achieving the things that I really wanted in my life, which yeah. again is primarily focused on freedom. Yeah. And I'm hearing that. And it's funny because we, we had a, a guest on last week, right? And she had the same things that she was saying. And I think it's very similar to what people feel when they get that, that feeling like something's off. I need more meaning. Something needs to change, right? Mm. Part of it is, is often, I mean, even for myself, our guests from last week and the people that I talked to yourself included, it's that feeling of being backed into a corner. Like you have no other choice, right? It's not like you were given an ultimatum in the situation. It's just that feeling. You know it. You can feel it. It's vibrating through you. And at the end of the day, when you go home, it's that negativity you're bringing home too, right? Like that's what my life looks like day in, day out. And you know, at one point something's got to give. And when it finally does, push comes to shove. You have to make that choice. And here's the thing. You don't have to per se. There's a lot of people who don't. Mm -hmm. And then you see them later on in life feeling the regret really feeling the impacts of not taking that leap, not having trust in themselves and taking a, a leap of faith to do something that doesn't constrict them, right? And so that's what you did. And that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense to me that not only would you feel that, but now you need to design a plan, right? Because it's not about just jumping ship and like, whoa, this is the next cool fucking thing. Let me just get on board, right? It's about making a plan, having your eyes wide open, going through the process and really working with yourself because a huge part of all of what you've just described, whether you're a therapist or not going into coaching, or if you're, you know, going from management to the next level, running the actual operations, or if you literally decide to leave your executive job and go and work at Dairy Queen because that's what you love, right? All of those changes require personal development, right? Mm-hmm. So where's the area that you grew exponentially? The, the area that you can say for certain you grew the most? You know, that's a really good question. I would say that I probably grew the most in my belief in myself. I think that was something that had been lacking for a long time that I didn't really realize was lacking. Again, it's one of those things where when you're just kind of going through the motions of life, when you're taking the next step that you think you're supposed to take, that's almost like telling yourself that you don't, you're not confident enough in yourself to do something different. 
right? Like I just have to follow what society and everybody else wants of me because I can't possibly do something different. Who am I to do something different, right? And I think that was kind of a thought process that had been in my mind for a really long time. If I look back even to like my teenage life and, and my childhood before that, I think that confidence um, was lacking for a really long time. And when I started, you know, basically when I made the choice, and I loved that you used that word, you know, you have to choose to do something and you yeah. make that choice to do something different. And I think that's what it was. Basically, when I started to recognize and tell myself consistently, I have a choice in this, right? I am choosing to stay in this job that I'm not happy in. I am choosing to do this. And is that really the life that I want to do? Once I started recognizing that I had a choice and I didn't have to just follow what everybody else wanted me to do, and then I took those steps, the confidence and the belief in myself that followed is just amazing. And I think that has transformed me as a person, individually, you know, as a mom, as a wife. It's transformed me as a friend. It's transformed me as a therapist, as a coach, because I now have that confidence to walk in the world and say, this is who I am. And if you don't like it, okay, good for you. <laughs> like pure ownership, right? Is what I'm hearing. Pure ownership of the self, of you. Whereas what we're so used to is kind of dulling it down or watering it down for people so that we just fit in, they accept us, we can just go about our day, right? And it is a choice because when we think about, okay, I don't really like something or I'm miserable at something, for a long period of time, I have to do it. This is what I have to do. There's that like almost, and I I hate to say it, but I've got to say it, I've got to push it out more and more because we need to recognize that it is somewhat of a victim mentality, right? Like we are the sum of what's happening to us. Well, if you take that exact same analogy and you say, okay, yeah, that's true, then make a fucking choice because you get to change that, right? You do have choice. And it begins when you decide to make that choice, but you have to believe in yourself first. And then when you believe in yourself, start to do the work, the legwork to make that choice, to create that transition, to create that transformation, then all of a sudden it's like, coming back to you tenfold, right? Now the confidence and the belief is coming back even heavier and heavier and heavier, but you've got to get the ball rolling on that, right? And that's the very, very important part. Another piece of what you said, Alexis, was that it's, it's been a journey of this lack of confidence, right? And I, I always say this to my clients. I say this to everybody who listens to Lit, that typically what you feel today has a strong anchor in your developmental years, right? Your younger years. And so you probably felt like that when you were younger because of an event that probably took place. High emotion, strong memory, man. That shit's going to really, really imprint itself into the back of your fucking head and it will dictate every choice you make, right? And so here you are with the almost perfect picturesque life, right? Like who would, who would hate to have your life? And yet you did, Right? Mm-hmm. You did. Exactly. And that's something that I work with my coaching clients on a lot too, because a lot of them that I do work with from the outside looking in, they have their shit together, right? Yeah. Like they've got the family, they've got the house, they've got the car, they've got the kids who aren't like in juvenile detention, right? <laughs> like, right. They have their shit together and they're not happy. Right. And they come and, and a lot of times they wonder why, because they're like, I don't understand. Like I have everything. There's no reason for me not to be happy. 
Yeah. Like, well, you have all of these things that society tells you you need to be happy and that you should be fulfilled by this, but apparently you're not. So <laughs> what do you actually want? Absolutely. You know, because we lose that as we lose our sense of self, we also lose any idea of what we even want. Yeah. And that's huge, right? Because all of a sudden your food doesn't taste as good anymore, right? Your life events aren't that exciting anymore. Fuck, you're sitting there drowning in Netflix every single day, just trying to fall asleep so you can wake up and do it all over again. We all have meaning and purpose. We really do. It's that thing that drives us. It's that passion, that fire that ignites us, that makes everything so fucking good, right? So now that food is better. Those people are nicer. Those experiences are great. All of a sudden, you don't want to sit there in front of Netflix because fuck it, you could go make your own movie or you could go do something so much better, right? There is so much opportunity. And so you took yourself out of a negative mindset. Clearly, you had to switch the mindset big time, right? There's, there's a lot of mindset work here, guys. Like That's the main component of it. And then you were able to shift and transition into something that you love doing. Absolutely. And yes, it is all about the mindset, right? Because like we said earlier, there can be all sorts of stuff going on in your life outside, right? And you're choosing how you react to that, to those circumstances. So if you don't like your work, work sucks. Like you choose how to react to that. You get to make a choice. So shift your mind, shift your thinking, and you can either A, be happier doing whatever it is that you're doing or that's there, you know, the whatever's going on in your life, if that's what you want, or you can shift your thinking in order to help propel you towards change. But you do, you have to get the mind right first. Okay, so tell everybody, because um, it's, it's pretty huge, grand, right? Because not everybody can get a coach. Not everybody thinks they need a coach right now. People sometimes are at the very, very beginning processes. What kind of, what was the pivotal thing you did that, the very easiest thing you did that started to really shift your mindset, that really started to make that transformation for you? Yeah. And actually this is going to sound a little silly perhaps, but I had all this education and experience, right? And so I knew the foundations of like altering your thinking in order to change your emotions and your behaviors. Um, but I never really grasped it myself until, <laughs> and again, this is going to sound silly. Um, so when I was working at the hospital, I, my commute was 45 minutes in good traffic. If there was traffic, it was going to be longer. And I always had to go from work to try to come back to where I live 45 minutes away to get my daughter and then take her back in the direction that I just came from to get her to softball practice about a half an hour. Right. And so there was a very specific timing that I had to do in order to get her there on time and not be late. And I'm, uh, I had been in the past, I've managed my anxiety well now, but in the past, I had been a rather anxious person. No shit. No <laughs> fucking shit. Like everybody's like, oh my God, you know, like you got anxiety. It, it must be mental. No fuck, that entire commute is anxiety driven, yo. I drive a standard. And if I had to do that shit day in and day out, I'd fucking, I'd lose my shit. Yes, exactly. And there wasn't any good back streets. So it was like, you had to be on the freaking highway, right? The whole time. So stop and go too in traffic, right? So I had been getting so just anxious and mad and just like pissed off. You know, I would like, I'm not going to let you into traffic. Why would I let you in trying to merge? 
Yeah. To do that. But that was the mindset that I was stuck in that I was going to be late. I had to get from point A to point B. I had to try to control traffic, right? Which you can't do. So (laughs) thank you for the tip. Thanks for the tip. Don't try to control traffic. Not possible. (laughs) So that was the mindset I was stuck in. And then I'm not 100% sure what kind of triggered me to start doing it other than probably, I was probably working with a client who was super anxious and we were probably talking about shifting the thought quite frequently in sessions. So one day I'm sitting in traffic and I feel myself getting angry and I'm going to be late. Like there's no question. I'm not going to get home in time. She's going to be late to practice. There's no, nothing I can do about it. Yeah. And I just said to myself and thought to myself, what is getting mad and anxious really going to change? How is this going to help anything? And just saying that, and I think I said it out loud because sometimes you say things in your mind and they seem to make sense, right? Even though they're ridiculous. But if you say it out loud and you hear yourself say it, you're like, oh, well, that's a bunch of bullshit. Shouldn't think that way. Yeah. And that's kind of when I realized that the way I was thinking about things was not helpful for me. Mm -hmm. And in order to kind of gain my own peace, reduce my own heart rate, I would have to just be okay with the things outside of my control and just recognize that, okay, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late and it has to be okay. There's nothing I can do. I can't control traffic. Getting upset and frustrated is not helpful in this situation. Right. That happened one time. And then from there forward, if I was late, I was late. The anxiety literally disappeared as soon as I was able to remind myself that there was nothing I could do, that I was trying to control the uncontrollable and that that was not helpful. And from that point on, my ability to change my thinking was a lot easier because I could apply that same principle anytime I started to feel really intense emotions. And I think that's the key. And that's what I talk to a lot of my clients about as well is often we miss the thought. The thought happens so automatically that we don't recognize it's there, but you usually feel the emotion. You feel that emotion. Yeah. So that's your cue. You're feeling something intense that you don't like and you want to change it. Okay, slow down. Pay attention to your thoughts. And then ask yourself, are those thoughts helpful? Are they even fucking true? And if they're not, then remind yourself how you want to think about the situation. Because you get to choose that. You get to control that. Absolutely. And it's so funny that you would even say that that the thought happens so fast, you know. Like we I talk about um I cover a lot of science in, in this, in this program. And for lit listeners, we, you know, if you've been listening to the show regularly, you have fucking heard about this, right? Those synaptic connections, they fire so fucking fast, man. And like the moment you have one, like 10 more spread like wildfire, right? It's all based on conditioning, what you're used to. What is the linguistic programming that's taking place upstairs that you hear every single day? And how the fuck do you think it's going to change, right? It's only going to change when you step on the fucking brakes and say, wait, that's not what I want. That's, you know, what are you focused on? What's the outcome you want, right? And then how you just layered in the biology of it, right? The emotional reaction is a direct byproduct of the thought, right? Whatever happened upstairs, it's all happened in your brain. And so A lot of the times when you're actually thinking things, you know, and this is so fucking true, but 90% of the time it's happening on autopilot, unconsciously. You don't even know that it's actually happening. And if you ever take a moment to like, listen to your thoughts, you'll notice like, whoa, when you catch yourself, how the fuck did I get here? And what, you know, what was the triggering event? Oh, that was that. Oh shit. That was like 
50 thoughts ago. I, I don't even realize. And the same thing happens in traffic, right? Think about it. You're sitting in traffic autopilot and you can't even remember how you got from point A to B because all of that activity upstairs, right? These brains of ours are highly powerful operating systems, but you are the program. You're like the Windows. You're like the Linux. You're like the, the Mac operating system. I don't even know what the hell that is. Sorry, guys. I'm not a Mac <laughs> I just Full transparency there, okay? But at the end of the day, you are the program that feeds that operating system, right? And so when you give yourself better thought to think about by deciding, okay, what is it I want as an outcome? Okay, what do I need to focus on? Okay, how do I focus on that? Well, sometimes it says silly, quote unquote, right? But it's as simple and silly as just changing the conversation in your head, right? And usually it works best at the very beginning round out loud because we're just so programmed. So trying to beat your brain at a game it's so fucking proficient in, like good fucking luck, right? There's It's time and it's repetitiveness. And on top of that, it's about really taking serious action. And sometimes that, like I said, like you said, just means saying it out loud. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. You're right. Our brains have to automate things, right? If we had to think about every single task that we do, I swear we would like short circuit. Oh, a hundred percent. It's so true. We would short circuit. That's why only 10% of that brain is conscious, right? Only 10% of that. Think about that. You guys, huge mass, 10% is conscious. 90% is unconscious because we short circuit. Exactly. And when it comes to thoughts we have, we have programmed our way of thinking. So, you know, based on past experience, based on, you know, our history, we have programmed it to think in a certain way. And so we have to really reprogram that thinking. We have a filter based on our thought processes, right? And if we think negatively, we're going to filter out all the positive and we're only going to see the negative, but we can switch that because we fucking programmed it. So switch it, change it into a filter that filters out the negativity and focuses on the positivity. If you can do that, then dude, you are set. You are set for life. Exactly. But it does take practice. It's a skill, just like learning to play the piano or play the guitar. You have to practice it. You have to be repetitive. You have to do it over and over and over. And I I am so glad that you said it's a skill, right? This is not some special DNA shit that only, you know, certain select elites get. This is built within each and every single one of us. You are just as uniquely amazing as Alexis or as the elites of the world or people that you see around you who have changed their lives, right? It's nothing different. You have it. The problem is it's underused or underdeveloped, right? You're not paying attention to it. Like she said, it's the filter. It's the perspective you're seeing based on the experiences you've had throughout your life, right? If you've had a shitty fucking life, if people have told you to be linear, to fit in a box and you can only do certain things, or they told you when you've decided to make the big shift, then no, no, you can't do that. (laughs) Obviously, that's going to impact you massively and impact your filter or perception, right? It's going to impact what you think about yourself, how you feel about yourself. And then of course, what you see outside. You don't see opportunity. You see all the negativity. The moment you make that transition, and I promise you, I fucking promise you, that moment when you make that transition, you start to see so much opportunity in the same fucking space you were before, right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And the cool thing, like I love that you mentioned that it's, you know, it's a skill, which means that everybody can do it. It's not something just for these elite, highly educated people. Anyone can literally do it. The important thing for mastering any skill is that you put in the effort and the preparation. So if you put in the effort and you put in the preparation, then you can shift your thinking, which therefore will lead to you shifting your entire life. Like anything that you want to achieve, you can achieve. If you believe you can do it, then you can. 100%. 100%. It's so practical, you guys. It's unreal. So practical. You just, the main part of it is you need to take action, right? And I know a lot of you do know what we're talking about because the reason why you're on late is because you're trying to develop. You're, try- you're finding me in the self-help section. Okay, let's get real. So you're trying to develop. You know there's something missing. The next step after you figured that out, that there is something missing or you want something more, and it might just be slightly different than what you're used to, is to take that practical step. Take that action. And so for us, I mean, the both of us are going to tell you, and it was probably the second or third um, episode that I, I had done where I told you, you need to start with the linguistics, right? That is the main part, because if you don't change what you're thinking, you are not changing anything. It, your best efforts will be thwarted because you're not going anywhere. So you make this big change, Alexis. Now, now tell us about the practice. What do you actually do in the practice you love, the coaching practice you love? Yeah, so I work with women who are sick and tired of trying to live up to everybody's expectations. And I help them reconnect with their authentic selves so that they can gain the confidence to live life on their own terms, whatever that means. Really, it's a focus on prioritizing themselves because as women especially, we tend to put everything and everyone else above us. Yeah. We don't even rank on our list of priorities. It's bullshit, right? So I help women start to prioritize themselves and recognize that that doesn't mean that you don't also prioritize your family or you don't also prioritize these other things. You can have multiple priorities and still prioritize yourself. And so that's what I work with women on. We work on getting back in touch with values, setting goals, and creating a plan to really attack the kind of life that they want to have because there's no fucking reason for us to be living small. No, absolutely. And I just, I love the imagery, you know, the audio of attacking your life, right? We are so used to living small, a lot of us. I, I'm Listen, if you're not going to take ownership, I will tell you right now, like I was guilty of it, right? When I was playing small and even in my entrepreneur life, I've played small and it's not until I decided to step up, be real, play it big and say, fuck it. What do I have to lose? I have nothing to lose, right? Like the intention is good. The hope is to do something fantastic with my life. And for me, it's about impact, but for your clients, it's about impact in, in, in their own lives in terms of putting themselves as a priority, right? So once you decide that that's it, you tack the shit out of it, right? You make it a priority. You focus on that. And as much as people think that's selfish, here's the deal, guys. It's like the plane coming down, right? They want you to put that yellow mask on yourself first because when you serve yourself First, you serve those around you. And I'm going to get this through you once more, okay? So listen clearly. When you serve yourself, you serve those around you. So when you get clear on yourself, what you need, and you start to work on your personal development 
and you transform the areas that no longer serve you into something that's more beneficial for you, those around you are not only seeing the impacts, but they are going to start to feel the influence, right? They're going to start to think differently. They're going to start to act differently. Like, sure, you're a weirdo mom, Alexis, (laughs) but you're that weirdo interesting mom. Yo, you're on social media. Okay. Well, at least she's looking. And now this young girl is watching her mother dominate, you know, platforms, dominate a space where entrepreneurship, you know, for a very long time was male dominated. And now there are more and more women in it. So it gives her an opportunity to see that there's possibility. You can change at any point, right? You're not stagnant for life unless you choose to be it. Exactly. It's really a ripple effect, right? If you change you, that is going to be spread out into the world. You're going to project that in every aspect of your life. And that could be the seed that needs to be planted in order for someone else to really grow into what they're meant to be as well. So it's not only about you, but you are filling yourself up in order to also give to others. Yeah. And like, how fucking selfish is it that if you don't fill yourself up, that you then screw up an opportunity for somebody else to be influenced by you. Like that should stop you dead in your tracks for all those people who are like, but I'm, I'm so selfless. I like to give back. Well, great. (laughs) And start on yourself because your main priority is to fix you so that you can go and give back. You can meet that person. You know, like I say, life is not a coincidence. Shit happens for a reason. So if you're here listening and you take anything away, fix you and then Watch the people you start to influence just by showing up as a happier you, a better you, a more productive you. You're giving back to society in so many ways, right? So Alexis, you have a coaching practice and you sound like a pretty rad coach and I'm absolutely digging what you're saying. So obviously, you know, here are two coaches having a conversation about, (laughs) right? What could get any better? It was get a couch in here, right? (laughs) So where do they find you? If if anybody from Lit wants to meet with you, wants to work with you, know more about you, where do they go? Yeah, totally. They can go to my website. It is www.alexisstorms.com. And you can go there and there should be a list of some services I offer. And I do offer a free 30 minute clarity call so we can chat, talk about what's going on and see if we're a good fit. Because I know that we're, I'm not a good fit for everybody. And yeah. it's really important that you find a coach who you jive with. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And so just for the record, you guys, that storms with an S, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Just to make that clear. Alexis, <laughs> it's been a wonderful time chatting with you. Thank you so much for bringing insight, but also bringing, you know, a bit of my lingo into here. It's one thing for me to, you know, spew off what I need to, but for another professional to come in and say, yo, like, this is actually legit. This is how it works. So thank <laughs> you. And it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I've appreciated it. No problem. Thank you guys so much for listening. It has been such a bomb time. I really enjoyed myself with my guest and I cannot wait to bring you guys episode 20. So stick around for the next episode next week, but do please leave us a rating and review to let me and Alexis know how we did. Did you enjoy the shit or did you truly hate it? I want to know if you hated it too, right? I want to know. So leave me your rating and review. And I look forward to talking to you guys again next week. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lit. I am so grateful to have you as an audience member. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to hit subscribe and leave your review. For more resources, tips, and tools, 
head over to www.ravitour.co. I'll be back with another episode next week. But until then, stay lit. Stay lit.